well. This passage of scripture, I hope that you were able to see from the reading of it, while it is very memorable that this paralytic is brought into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the way that he is, and while there is much to learn by way of the, the faithful friends that he has, the real hub of the passage revolves around that statement of the Lord Jesus Christ that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. This is the great central point that everything must kind of uh, subsume under. And what I want to do then with this passage of Scripture is I want to present the passage of Scripture with that main theme in mind. The doctrine, if you will. Once again, you know how we all oftentimes identify the central point, the doctrine. And the doctrine is given to us by our Lord himself. In one sense, we don't have to develop it. It's there on the page of Scripture. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. And what I want you to say, and what I want to do is I want to develop this doctrine along four points that we see in the passage itself. And the four points are essentially this. That Jesus' power to forgive sin is associated with him being the Son of Man. It's a very interesting designation that our, that our Lord oftentimes uses of himself. It's used almost, this title is used almost exclusively by our Lord himself in the New Testament. So the ability or his power or his authority to forgive sins is associated closely, intimately tied with him being the Son of Man. The second thing I want to do by way of opening up this doctrine is to show to you that his power to forgive sins as the Son of Man comes to those who are miserable and weak and in a sinful condition. That's the paralytic. So again, your situation is miserable, your situation is weak, your situation is sinful, there's no hindrance to the Lord Jesus Christ for giving you your sins. You see, the gospel is a message for sinners, is it not? And the third thing we're going to see is, is that the, the opposition that the religious leaders may, may press upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who is this that says he can forgive sins, the opposition that's there. There's no hindrance to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see in a very bold way. He knows what the religious leaders are thinking by way of who does Jesus of Nazareth think he is. And he will assert in the face of that kind of opposition that the Son of Man indeed has power. And he will, he will work in such a way as to validate the claims that he makes. And then the fourth thing I want to show from this passage of Scripture is that all those whom Christ pardons for their sin, he gives the power to walk in a new way. Isn't that something? He pardons this man and he gives him power to walk. My friends, you may not be here paralyzed by any physical infirmity. But were not you and I all once paralyzed in sin? Amen. And when Jesus spoke the word of forgiveness, he not only pardoned our sin, but he gave us power to walk in the ways of righteousness. And when he said to that man, take up thy bed and walk, he says to everyone who is thus forgiven, take up thy bed and walk now in the ways of holiness and righteousness. And so by the grace of God, I hope to open this passage of Scripture up to you along these lines. Well, let's kind of approach this second chapter now. And I want you to understand that as we come into the second chapter of the Gospel of Mark, we are actually in the second year of our Lord's ministry. It's kind of interesting the way the, the Gospel of Mark is laid out. The, uh, Mark passes over very quickly, maybe not even mentioning at all the first year of our Lord's ministry. So when we come into the first and the second chapter of the uh, Gospel of Mark, we're already moved along quite a bit. 
excuse me, in our Lord's public ministry. And what's interesting about that is essentially this, that our Lord has, has come onto the scene and all the gospel accounts kind of follow this general pattern. There is a time of acceptance and excitement with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he comes onto the scene and he begins to preach, there is this, 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 this initial uh, acceptance and this initial excitement uh, concerning the person of Christ. After that, what we begin to see is what we might call a period of evaluation. And this evaluation is taken on primarily by the religious leaders. They are, they are engaging him. They are, again, evaluating. They are making judgments concerning what he is teaching, concerning his person. And what you begin to see happening after that is kind of a hostility beginning to form within the religious leaders against the Lord Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and they begin to look for occasions to either trip him up, we saw that in our reading of John chapter 8 this morning, or occasions to actually take and kill him. And we see, we'll see that in other places in the gospel. So we're in that period of time where we are moving from this general and broad acceptance of Jesus of Nazareth now to a closer examination of him by the religious leaders and now a dividing of, the, of, of, of opinion. There are those who are identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ and, and there are those who are forming opinions against him. And that's why the presence of the scribes here will be important in our presentation of this passage of Scripture. You see, they're there not to learn from the Lord Jesus Christ, but they're there to critique him and to catch him in any way that they can. And our Lord isn't intimidated by this. It's a wonderful thing to see. And our Lord will not allow their opposition to keep him from exerting his authority and his compassion to forgive the sins of that paralytic. It's a wonderful thing to see the boldness of our Lord Jesus Christ this way. And so again, we see this whole uh, kind of uh, um, this whole um, uh, thing working out. It's kind of interesting that when you look at this passage of scripture, that as we see it not in the Gospel of Mark, but as we see it in the Gospel of Luke. Luke gives a little bit more detail in one fact here. And Luke, uh, Luke says this in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. You don't have to turn there, but notice what Luke says. In Mark, we have the fact that the scribes are there. But notice what Luke says, Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And it came to pass on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem. And so what you have here is you have this official party. From Jerusalem, you have the official scribes and the lawyers and the, and the Pharisees and the religious leaders. And they're evaluating the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where he's coming. This is where we find him in his ministry. But all of this will not intimidate nor shake him off from his purpose to bring to miserable sinners the forgiveness of sins. Don't you love the Lord Jesus Christ for this? You see, I hope your affections are drawn out to him because of this. I hope there is something within you that doesn't just place all this as, oh, oh, this is all neat to know kind of historically. Oh, this happens at this point in the gospel. And that happened, and these guys, and, and, and the religious leaders are doing this, and all these, uh, and all these uh, evil intentions are being designed against them, and all, let's put all these things together. I want you to, yes, understand that, but I want you to love Jesus Christ. You see, he'll not be shaken off from his purpose to save you. And that ought to elicit from you and me a true love for him. And so as we work through this passage of Scripture, we begin to see all these things. And the great thing that we see is this claim, again, that he says that he is here on earth in order that our sins might be forgiven. 
Again, the doctrine of the text, taken right from the passage. The Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Now, I think you know that, this, that, the, that the matter of our sins, the matter of your sins, the matter of my sin, is the most important matter that we can deal with in life. You know, in one sense, we can, we can say that the greatest question of, of, of all of life was asked by Pilate when he presented uh, Jesus of Nazareth to the crowd. And he asked this question, What shall I do with him who is called Jesus the Christ? What shall I do with Christ? Pilate asking these questions. Now he asked the question of the Jewish crowd, and they say, Crucify him. But the question comes to you. What should you do with Christ? What will I do with Christ? Jesus himself presses these questions on us, doesn't he? There he is in Matthew chapter 16. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this. But who do you say that I am? You see, these questions that Christ presses us with. And I'm saying to you that the question of concerning Christ all revolves around the matter of our sin. Who is this one, Jesus Christ? He is the Savior of sinners. Who is this one, Jesus Christ? He is the Son of Man on earth who is able to save, who, who has the authority uh, to forgive sins. And so this matter then of the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, his authority to, to forgive us of our sins is very, very important. You're, the matter of your eternal destiny revolves around this question, and the issue of your son, sins lie at the center of this question, for, for it revolves around what we will do with the Lord Jesus Christ. Every sinner who looks to Jesus as the Son of Man who has power on earth to forgive sins and comes to Him seeking it to be forgiven of those sins, that sinner will find pardon for his sins and the power to walk in the ways of holiness. And I want to do, as I said before, this is the very thing that I want to develop before you here today. Again, the four points. Uh, the power of sin, the power to forgive sins belongs to Jesus as the Son of Man. The power to, for, to forgive sins comes to those who are in the misery of their sin. This power to forgive sins cannot be thwarted by opposition. And then lastly, the power to forgive sins is accompanied by the power to walk according to this command. Well, the first point then. This power to forgive sins, hopefully the great thing that you are rejoicing in this morning, this power to forgive sins, belongs to Jesus as he is the Son of Man. Now this is a very important title that is given to the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I should say it this way, this is a very important title that the Lord Jesus Christ takes to himself in the Gospel accounts. And what's interesting is that this is a title that our Lord did not uh, kind of uh, coin himself, but this is a title that is found first and foremost in the Old Testament, and especially in the book of Ezekiel, but in a very particular way to the point that we're looking at today, found in the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, we read the following. Daniel says this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought near before him. Now notice what is given to, the son of, to this Son of Man. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom, and all people and all nations and languages serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. Understand, this title, Son of Man, is a messianic title. This title, Son of Man, is a title that points to Jesus Christ's universal dominion over all of creation. This title is a title that is given and is consistent with the proclamation of the kingdom of God. And so what you have in this title 
is the Lord Jesus Christ as Messiah King come to save his people. This is very much uh, in keeping with what we've already seen in the in this first chapter of Mark. When Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God, he comes as the king. He comes as the one who has been ordained of God. So when he preaches, he preaches the kingdom of God as the very king whom God has ordained. You know, we live in a world where the kingdoms of man oftentimes come against the kingdom of God. But when all is said and done, the kingdom of God shall indeed have its sway in the earth. And that's the point that we're seeing here. There is this great authority that is given to Jesus Christ as the Son of Man. Another thing that's interesting about this title, the Son of Man, is that the title Son of Man, while it was recognized to be a messianic title, was not a primarily, it was not a primary title that was used for Messiah. And many believe that this is one of the reasons why Jesus used this as the primary title for himself. The title of the Son of Man didn't have some of the more dignified elements of Messiah attached to it. Of course, we have the passage here in, uh, in Daniel, which points to the, the, the majestic elements of the Son of Man. But really what, we, what we, you would see is that that title wasn't really in common among the people of Jesus' day. And rather than just coming and saying, I am the Messiah, you remember there are places in the gospel where he tells people to keep that quiet. What he does with this title, the Son of Man, is he fills in that title with everything that is necessary to his messianic work of suffering for sinners. And so when we talk about the Messiah, I'm sorry, when we talk about the Son of Man, oftentimes that title is used in connection with his suffering for sinners. And so this is why our Lord uses this title again, over and over again, over 40 times in the Gospels. The other thing I want you to see and understand about this title, as I said before, in this passage of Scripture, it is intimately connected with his authority to forgive sins. So everything that Jesus is saying in this passage of Scripture is all connected with his authority as the Son of Man to forgive sins. Well, again, so much then for this title, uh, the Son of Man. The other thing I want you to see here is the idea that this, uh, this title, the Son of Man, while is used of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in his authority to forgive sins, the next thing I want to do is get back to the text itself. We have, the, we have the title out there for us. Now let's get back to the text itself. And, then what I, and this introduces us now to this man who is uh, on, on, the, on the pallet, this man who is a paralytic. And this man is brought to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and in this, as I said before, this is really from one standpoint what most of us remember about the story. Uh, you can picture the scene. Uh, there is the Lord Jesus Christ and, the, and people are thronging around him. And there he is in the house and he's, he's preaching the word of God. And these men are trying to bring their friend to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and they can't get there because of the crowd. And so what do they do? They're not put off. They're not deterred. But rather what they do is they, they show this kind of tenacity. And they bring this man to the Lord Jesus Christ. Many wonderful pictures are, are kind of in, in our mind when we think about this. And many wonderful things can be said. We can talk about the idea of how wonderful it is to have uh, friends of this caliber, friends that would bring us to Jesus. How wonderful it is to, to think about those who have enough concern for our souls that they, may, they do everything in their power to bring us to Jesus. And we can ask the question at this point, were there people in your life before you came to faith in Jesus Christ that were like these four men who did everything in their power to bring you to the, to the Lord Jesus Christ? And we can ask other questions as well. Are you like one of these men? who do everything in your power to bring those who are in a miserable condition of their sin 
And in a miserable condition that sin breaks, but you do everything in your power to bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's right, it's proper to, to emphasize these things. But as I said before, this is, not the, this is not the pivotal point of the passage. The pivotal point of the passage is the Lord Jesus Christ himself in his authority to forgive sin. Now, the thing that I want you to see here, then, and I really appreciate, the, I really in, enjoy this little, this little, uh, just this little uh, phrase that's mentioned here. Notice what we have here in in verse uh, two. Uh, and straightway, the many were gathered together, inasmuch as there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And I love this little phrase, and it probably wouldn't be surprising to you that I love it. And he preached the word unto them. Here was the Lord Jesus Christ, and what was he doing? He was preaching. I love every one of these passages of Scripture when we find our Lord Jesus Christ proclaiming the Word of God. And when we see Him preaching the Word, we have to ask ourselves the question, well, what would have been the content of His preaching? Well, all the way through the Gospels, you know what the content is. It's essentially the preaching of the Kingdom of God. That's what we saw in, in, uh, in Mark chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. This is what we see in other places in the Gospel. He preaches the Kingdom of God. He preaches Himself in one sense. Here he is as the great Messiah King come to call sinners to himself. And so Jesus, again, here he is preaching the kingdom of God. And I think it was through his preaching that, was the, the, it was through his preaching that attracted the many, the many that came. Now we know that they would come because of the miracles that he did, but I think there was something of his preaching as well that drew sinners to himself. You know, here he was, again, performing these great miracles. And we've seen a number of miracles already. This miracle of the, of the healing of the paralytic, it's the third already that we've seen. We've seen uh, two other uh, miracles in, the, in chapter 1. In the Gospel of Mark altogether, we're going to see about 11 miracles. And so the miracles would have drawn people as well. But I think the preaching did also. And why do I say it this way? Because I think there was something in the sweetness of the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ that didn't put off sinners and miserable people i think there was something in the preaching of jesus while there was a sternness and while there was an authority with which he 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 butted heads so to speak with the uh, with the religious leaders there must have been something of great compassion in the words of jesus christ that that enabled people to think if i'm weighed down with my sin jesus will heal me if i'm weighed down with infirmities jesus will see me and so again, what we see here is in the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, something appealing. We find this in the word of God, don't we? In Mark chapter 12, verse 37, we have this little phrase, and the common people heard him gladly. There was great joy in hearing the word of Jesus Christ being preached. Oh, wouldn't we have loved to have been there? <clears throat> and I ask you the question, do you love to hear the preaching of the word now? You see, this is one of the marks of the children of God. They love to hear the word of God opened up. It's, of course, it's the responsibility of the preacher to do it in a way that honors Christ. There's no two ways about it. But oh, when the word of God is being preached, don't you as the people of God want to be there? There is this desire. And again, we all we all have our quote-unquote favorite preachers, don't we? That so-and-so opens up the scripture in such a way we love to hear him preach. And there is a sense in which this is a mark of grace in the heart. When you hear the word of God and your heart is warmed by it, the, the common people we see hear it, heard him gladly. We already seen this in we already seen this in, in chapter one, verses twenty-seven and twenty-eight, 
where we read the following, and they were all amazed inasmuch as they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this, and what new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region. You see, in the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ, his fame was known. And so again, here was our Lord Jesus Christ preaching. Well, this brings us to the, to the man himself and to his friends. You know, oftentimes it's said that, uh, that it was the faith of these four men that, uh, that healed this, uh, this paralytic. But I think that when we look at the passage of Scripture, there's no reason to say that the faith was only in the four men. I think that paralytic had faith as well. I don't think he was kicking and screaming when they were bringing him there. I don't think he was saying, hey, what are you doing? I don't think he was saying, what are you doing? Why are you bringing me here? I think he heard something about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think he said to his friends, oh, take me there. Bring me there. Will you bring me there? Yes, we'll bring you there. And so again, so much that we can see about these friends of his. He had, a, he, he had friends who saw his, his need of mercy and they knew where to take him. He had friends who believed that Jesus could help him. He had friends, again, who, who would do everything within their power to bring them to the, to, to the Lord Jesus Christ. He had friends who wouldn't be put off by any kind of obstacles. He had friends who knew that Jesus could take care of everything that he was in need of. Oh, again, are you, are you such a friend? Do you have such friends? You see, again, this is where this, this sermon and this section of, of Scripture often revolves around. There's nothing wrong with that. But again... I think that we should raise our eyesight higher than just these five men. Our eyesight should be on the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And did you notice what we have in the passage of Scripture? Here our Lord is preaching and he sees this man let down in front of him. And I love what the passage again says. And when Jesus saw their faith. Aren't you glad that Jesus sees faith? Aren't you glad that Jesus knows the heart? And I ask you the question, does Jesus see faith this morning? Are you here in a condition of believing the Lord Jesus Christ? He sees faith. And this is kind of interesting, isn't it? Because I can't put faith in a, in a, in a bottle and I can't say, okay, here's a, here's a bottle of faith, take it and examine it. You don't see faith that way. But how do you see faith? You know the great passage of Scripture in James. You say that you have faith. I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith looks like something in life. Faith never goes around without some kind of indication that it's there. And here was our Lord Jesus Christ. He saw faith. I'm so happy that he sees faith. He sees even weak faith. He sees struggling faith. He even sees faith sometimes that says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. Well, you see the Lord Jesus Christ, he sees faith. And how glad we are again that our Lord sees this faith. But what's really something is to see how our Lord interacts with this man. And I've touched on this earlier in the introduction, but stop and think of what we have here again in this passage of Scripture in uh, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, maybe from one perspective, that doesn't jar our thinking too much. But I would ask you the question, if you were to engage somebody that was either a paraplegic or quadriplegic. The King James here, palsy, is basically the, the word for, for, he was a paralytic, the man. So in some way he was, he was physically disabled. Could you imagine the kind of pushback that a minister would receive if he was introduced to a man 
And he, and maybe some well-intended person said, uh, Pastor, could you, could you talk to my friend who's, a, who's paralyzed? And could you imagine what you would think if that pastor said to that man, you know your sins. What would you think? How insensitive of the man. Why is he mentioning sin? And I think there's something to be noted here. Our Lord Jesus Christ knows the real issue. He's not dismissing the the physical paralysis. But the greatest need of humanity is to deal with their sin. We said this in the introduction, did we not? This is the great matter. What shall I do with this one Jesus? This is the great matter, my sin. And so our Lord Jesus Christ, again, deals with the man in a tender way. I think it's in either, I think it's in Matthew, in this account, Matthew, where, where, where Matthew records uh, the words, he says, son, be of good cheer. He's not unnecessarily berating this, this man, but he's dealing with him as a sinner. And the man isn't offended by it. He's not offended by it. Not like many in our day would be. Who would you call me a sinner? Why are you mentioning sin? There's no offense taken here. Why? Because when there's true faith in the heart, the heart is never offended when Christ exposes sin. It's the greatest remedy for the situation. And so here is our Lord Jesus Christ, and he says to this man, thy sins are forgiven. No offense taken by either the paralytic or of those who bring him. But those who are around, they have an issue. And this brings us now to the third point in our sermon. The first point was, Jesus' authority to forgive sins is associated with him being the Son of Man. The second point of the sermon is that our miserable condition is no hindrance to our being forgiven of our sins. The third point of the sermon is that even in the face of opposition, Jesus still is able to forgive the sins of those who look to him. And the opposition we see is from these religious leaders. You see here, I believe it's in verse 6 and following, and we see this, but, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak thus, uh, why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can for- forgive sins but God only? Now notice here, I want you to notice something. These men are not discussing among themselves. This was not something that Jesus overheard. Jesus, if we can say it this way, in the passage is full of these indicators. Jesus, by way of his divine omniscience, knows within the heart of these men. He sees faith. He knows opposition. He knows this kind of critique that he's getting. And it's interesting because when you look at the passage of Scripture, we see a number of these indicators. Here is Jesus, knowing the hearts of men, pointing to his divine nature. There is Jesus, forgiving the sins of the sinner, points to his divine nature. There is Jesus, healing the one who is lame, points to his divine nature. The passage is replete with the deity of Christ. So our Lord, again, engages these men. He reads their hearts, and he says to them, again, here in verse 8, and immediately... When Jesus perceived in his spirit that they had so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in in your hearts? But again, the ones who are asking this question, the ones who are reasoning, as I said before, they were the scribes. 
You have to understand how important the scribes were in this period of Jewish history. They've always been important. The idea of a scribe goes back at least as far as Ezra. Ezra, again, was a scribe, a very, a very worthy scribe, uh, a very godly man. Uh, but as the, as the years went on, the, 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 the idea or the, or the duties of a scribe began to expand. And it wasn't long before they were doing more than just writing down the word of God. Because of their familiarity with the word of God, they would become very influential in society. They would be able to act as jurists, judges. They would be able to act as lawyers. Sometimes the word lawyer is used uh, uh, synonymously with the word scribe in the New Testament. They had gained such stature in the, in, in the society of their day that they were given a seat at the Sanhedrin. These men were very, very influential men. Uh, as, reading, I was, as I was preparing this, uh, one article was, was bringing out how the fact that when it came to, to Jewish religious life, if we can put it that way, that it was all about observances of law. And it wasn't so much about the communing of the heart with God, it was about the observance of law. And there was something, and you can see the, 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 maybe the, uh, the, the, the bad effect that that could have when, when relationships are reduced to rules. It just doesn't really work out that well, does it? But when relationships, again, show themselves by way of obedience, well, that's what we're looking for. But again, these men, the scribes, were very, very important. And that's why I pointed out the passage uh, earlier from, um, from, from uh, Luke chapter 5, uh, verse 17. Again, you had, the, uh, you had the, uh, the scribes and you had the Pharisees. Basically, you had the religious elite. And they were there evaluating Jesus. And as I said before, this hostility is beginning to set in. But this hostility does not prevent our Lord Jesus Christ from exercising his mercy and forgiving this man his sin or healing him from his disease. And so what our Lord does at this point, and this is a wonderful thing to see, what our Lord does at this point, if I can say it this way, he becomes more bold in his witness. He doesn't shy away. We use the term today, somebody doubled down on something. Well, he's doubling down on his authority to forgive sin. This is exactly what he's doing. Look here again in, verses, look here in verse 8. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, they said unto them, why, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Now notice what he says. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. This is an amazing thing. He says to the religious elite, he says, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven? Or to take up your bed and walk? Now, understand this. In one sense, we can say it's a more difficult thing to forgive sins than it is to enable somebody to walk. The spiritual realities there are much larger than just the physical realities. But from the standpoint of speaking, in one sense, it's as easy to say your sins are forgiven and, or get up and walk. They're just two sentences. But from the standpoint of evaluation, it's much harder to say, take up your bed and walk, as opposed to your sins are being forgiven. To say your sins are forgiven might give to somebody a sense of inner peace. I hope you've experienced that. I hope you've heard the word of God speaking to your soul. I hope you know what Paul wrote about when he said in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
I hope you know something about that love of God which is shed abroad in the heart. And it's a subjective experience that is valid and, and I hope every one of us know it. But to say, take up your bed and walk would require an observable miracle. And so Jesus says to these scribes, which is easier to say? Then he goes on to say in verse 10, but that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto thee, take up thy bed and walk. Anybody can say your sins are forgiven, but who can say take up your bed and walk and actually have a man get up and walk? And that's what our Lord does. He gives the vindicating proof. He shows that he's mighty not only in word, but in deed. And what is wonderful about this is, is the following. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with this man's sin. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ healing this man's paralysis. And it reminds us of Psalm 103. That it is God who heals, who, I'm sorry, who pardons all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. Here is God manifest in the flesh. Here is the Lord Jesus Christ doing only what God can do, but that you might know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. I say unto thee, rise and walk. He pardons all of our iniquities and he heals all of our diseases. Oh, my friends, what a Savior. What a glorious Savior is yours. And you see why we say this passage of Scripture is really the hub of this whole, of this whole section? Yes, we, we're taken up with this man the, uh, on that bed. We're taken up with his friends. Again, it's so many lessons can be learned. So many ideas of, of what we should be as a friend to one another. But, to, but, to, but that can't eclipse what's happening here by way of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the Son of Man come with power to save. And how we thank God for that. And so here is the Lord Jesus Christ not at all thwarted by uh, the opposition of the religious leaders as they are confronting him here. But this is not the only thing that we, say, that we see here. And again, as I said before, even before we move on, as I said before, the thing that's interesting to see here is, is how much of divine activity, how, how much of divine power we see. He knows the thoughts. He sees faith. He heals. He forgives sins. It is Christ again in all of his glory as the Son of Man come to save sinners. But the fourth thing that I want you to see from this passage of Scripture, again, we've seen that the association with the Son of Man, the, the ability to forgive sins, we, we've seen that this forgiveness of sins uh, uh, is, you know, uh, is to those who, are, who, who understand their misery in their sin. We see that opposition can't thwart that. But the fourth thing I want you to see is this. That in the Lord Jesus Christ, whenever he pardons sin, he also gives power as well. And aren't you glad that he said to that man, take up your bed and walk. He validated his power. And that's why if you look at verse 12, this is kind of interesting. If you look at verse 12 of our passage, it says, And immediately he rose, up, he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before all of them. And I'll notice this. Inasmuch as they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. This is what's interesting. They don't mean that they've never seen a miracle. Chapter 1, they've already seen two of them. And in the first year of our Lord's ministry, there are, there are other miracles that he had performed. What they mean is this. We have never seen it to where a man would say, your sins are forgiven, and then to have that declaration validated by a man getting up and walking away. We've never seen it like this. 
You see, again, here is the Lord Jesus Christ and all of his great appeal. But what I want you to see here, I want to, I want to develop this idea of this man taking up his bed and walking away. As in my preparation for this, I, I came across a sermon that one man had preached. And I think the title of his sermon was something like this. Pardon is, 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 is proven by power. Pardon proven by power. What did he mean? Well, the proof of the pardon of sin was seen in the power to walk. And I think there's a connection that we can make there. What is the proof of your pardon of sin? It's in your power to walk a holy life. What is the proof that your sins have been forgiven? It's in the power to walk in the ways of righteousness. What is the validation of a work of grace within your heart? It's the, it's the validation of a continuing work of grace in your will, enabling you to do what Christ calls you to do. And so what we see here is, is not only a wonderful picture of the great compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ on that miserable man who was bound up by way of his physical infirmity and with sin, but we also see a wonderful picture of Jesus Christ as the Son of Man, not only pardoning sin, but now giving power over sin to walk in the ways of righteousness. You see, his faith is only seen by actions. So again, faith is seen by the way that you and I live. May we live in a way that corresponds not only to the pardon that we've received, but may we live in a way that corresponds to the power that God gives to every one of his people so that we too are walking now in the ways and the paths of righteousness. You know, one more thing I want to say about this miracle of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful when you think of this. You know, miracles uh, have various classifications. And maybe the, the most general classification of miracles is our, our healing miracles and, and nature miracles. Every one of the healing miracles are also not only miracles of healing, but they're also miracles of, of mercy. And when you see the Lord Jesus Christ... In these miracles, he's, he's exerting mercy, divine mercy. And when we begin to ask ourselves the question, okay, we, we have all this information in front of us as to what this passage of Scripture is, and maybe you're saying in your mind, okay, I get it now. I see why, why that tenth verse has to be the hub around which everything centers. Uh, we learn from the, from the, from, from the four men. We, we learn, uh, again, about opposition. But when we come to this uh, to, to this passage and we ask ourselves well how do we make use of it well one of the first things I would say to you is this here was our Lord Jesus Christ performing these miracles of mercy now you may never be able to perform a miracle of mercy but every one of us can perform acts of mercy and I think there's something perfectly consistent with that I think we who have received mercy ought to be the first to show mercy but there's something else that we can do by way of this passage of scripture we can understand that the Lord Jesus Christ has power on earth right now to forgive sins. And you can say to your friends who may be still in their sins that there is a Savior who will save you from your sins. Or maybe you can say to yourself who might be here under the weight and guilt of your own sin that the Son of Man has power right now to forgive sins. You see, this is how we use this passage of Scripture. Other ways that we use this passage of Scripture we can, learn from the, we can learn from the example of these four men, can we not? We can take our friends to Jesus. We can make sure they know of his saving power as well as his healing power. 
And if we can't take, if we can't carry them in a bed, we can certainly carry them in prayer, can we not? And so let's be praying again for these ones. This miracle of mercy followed by acts of mercy. And so again, the final thing that I would say to you is this. If the Lord Jesus Christ has said unto you, thy sins are forgiven, my brothers and sisters, let us make sure that we take up our bed and we walk in the ways of righteousness and holiness because the proof of the pardon of your sin and my sin is in the power that God gives to us to walk in the ways of righteousness for his glorious name's sake.